Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma, and I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here today with fellow beat writer Joe Masato and columnist uh, Jenny Carlson. The Sooners Extra Podcast, once again, is brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. And guys, we're finally here. It's finally game week. We actually have uh, on-the-field stuff to talk about and yes. uh, uh, some resolution to look forward that to that on Sunday. It's weird to say. I know. I Sunday know. night football uh, in, in Norman, which is oh, – Jenny, let's start with you. What's the weirdest <laughs> thing going to be about uh, Sunday's uh, at uh, – Gaylord Family Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. Well, having a night game has become pretty weird for OU. So, <laughs> I mean, the fact that they're going to kick off at 6.30 is going to be a little bit odd com- considering all the 11 o'clock starts. But, you know, it is going to be different. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how the fan experience, in large part this was done so fans could have a better experience with the 6.30 start. But with the holiday weekend, with it being Sunday – how do people combine all of their game day traditions with not a sat not a Saturday and the holiday? I, it's just gonna. I'm just curious to see. You know, when does it really kind of ramp up? Are people in full you know tailgating mode by 9 a.m. or is it a little slower burn? I, so I, I'm I'm curious to see how that all plays out. Joe, we expect you to be there at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning to. Uh, <laughs> have the early Deliver. report <laughs> <laughs> traffic with joe masato <laughs> what about you joe um you know i i, I think it's going to be just a really cool atmosphere um just first sunday night thought you know just from a football perspective and an ou perspective with with the game on a sunday lincoln Riley talked a lot about the recruiting advantages there's one game on television everyone's going to be watching it and also um you know, there's there's no other campuses to visit that day. I mean, they're they're going to have uh, people there visiting on, on Sunday night. So just you know, to him, if they could play every Sunday, I mean, the NFL would obviously get in the way. <laughs> well, but. and it also helps the fact that there's no school on Monday. That makes it much easier. Yeah, for them to do uh, plan a visits trip this weekend. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's good for the fans. Good for recruiting. Um, I think good for us. We're all looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah it, okay. You know, it's interesting. I was talking, and I know you've, uh, Joe, had a chance to talk to Joe Castiglione, and I talked to him a little bit yesterday, too. You know, the the uh, advantages of this game, um, everybody knows that the Big 12 leans on the teams to have non-Saturday games every once in a while. And OU has said they, they really aren't interested in Thursday or Friday. And so this their, their options are a little bit limited. And you know, we've seen in recent years, Oklahoma State, for one, has become proactive in figuring out ways to move games off a of Saturday so the Big 12 doesn't call them one day and say, by the way, you're playing a Thursday night game at home against Texas Tech or something. I mean, I don't know what they would say. But this allows OU to control some of its own situation, which I don't know if I don't and I'm not here to say that I think that Joe Castiglione will do this every year, but I think it's something that if you're in his position, has a lot of advantages, including not letting the Big 12 dictate uh, when you're not when your non-Saturday games are going to be. Yeah, and that's why OU has usually done those non-Saturday games on the road. They've uh, made it work out, and, and Joe Castiglione has been very adamant about that OU will not play 
a non-Saturday home game uh, while school's going on. So a Sunday, certainly a Sunday of a holiday weekend helps that. But there, and, but you and you could see him doing maybe the first Thursday or Friday of the season if it fell before school starts. But uh, OU's options are pretty limited, and that there's a lot of reasons behind that where their stadium is in relation to campus parking, things like that. Of course, those things are logistical nightmares everywhere. I think, I think yeah. at OU it's a little bit more magnified. Um, but yeah, this this certainly helps. You know, the the best thing about it or strangest thing about it to me on, on two fronts. One, uh, you know, I tend to run a little ADHD and bounce around all over the place. Uh, and two, I'm an AP football voter, so I want to make sure I'm paying attention to every game going along the country. And it's not that I don't fully pay attention to OU games, but it's all easy for me to check scores, uh, you know, check out Twitter, things like that, figuring out everything that's going around the country. Uh, you know, sometimes people have iPads up there watching other games or there's TVs behind us. That won't be a concern on <laughs> Sunday night because it's the only game in town. And uh, you know, 100% of the focus will be on OU Houston. Yeah, ideal viewing experience. Get to, you know, watch watch football all day on Saturday and then go to another game on Sunday. It's perfect. And I think, too, for a lot of OU fans, I mean, last year OU opened uh, the same weekend. And if if you are in a situation where you've got to play an 11 o'clock game on this first weekend of games, the chance that it could be temperature-wise in this state absolutely miserable is a pretty high probability. If they would have played 11 o'clock this year, I think there was a chance that they get lucky and it's not going to be that bad on sa- on Saturday. Yeah, although it could be raining. Uh, at least I'm, I'm looking at the Oklahoma City forecast right now, but looks like some rain uh, scheduled for Saturday. Yeah. So, I mean, the the obviously you can never predict the weather, but if you're talking about midday in Oklahoma in early September, the chance of it being pretty miserable, pretty hot, is pretty high, and it's just, I mean, we've seen, guys, we've seen the, the, the attendance numbers across the country. They're dropping. They, it hasn't been gigantic, but we have seen percentage drops over the last couple of years. And asking people to sit outside on a 110-degree heat index day is just one more reason for people to stay home and not go. And so I think a chance, again, there are all these myriad reasons that 630 is great for Norman, the businesses and all all that sort of stuff. And the, but that, as much as anything, not having to convince fans, we promise you won't pass out. And if you do, we'll get you to an ambulance. I mean, like that's not exactly a great place to need to start when you're talking about game time temperatures being as hot as they can be in September. Yeah. And let's let's talk about weather real quick. National Weather Service, Saturday during the day in Norman, 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly before 1 p.m. This would have been an 11 a.m. kick. Yes. I mean, we know that much, which is why they they moved it to Sunday night. High near 84, so not bad. Could be worse uh, at that time of year. But uh, Sunday, partially sunny, high near 86. Uh, should be cooling down by the time uh, the game starts. I think it's going to be great football weather down there Sunday night. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah it should be it should be good. But uh, it, 
let's we're going to take a break right there because I don't want to start any more uh, get really into the team stuff until the next segments as we're uh, running down. But we're going to take a break right there on the Sooners Extra podcast. I'm your host Ryan Aber here with Joe Masato, Jenny Carlson from the Oklahoman, and this is a Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. All right, we, we talked about weather, we talked about Sunday starts and everything like that in the first segment. Let's actually talk about the game a little bit, Joe. And uh, we got a chance uh, on Monday to hear from Lincoln Riley and a few players, including uh, Neville Gallimore, Creed Humphrey, Grant Calcaterra. And then after practice, got to talk to Alex Grinch, new defensive coordinator, and, and some of his players. What stood out to you most about uh, what they had to say this week? Well, I think I think the most entertaining thing was uh, actually what was said in, in Houston by Dana Holgerson and, and the depth chart wars that have already <laughs> begun. And there's still enough days until game day that we can have silly arguments like this. But Lincoln Riley was asked about his depth chart, and he said there's still some position battles that are being decided. Which is exactly what he did last year. Yeah, which he so, – so if you don't know, the depth chart was released. There was just the eyes emoji in the middle of the page. No, no <laughs> names, no positions, nothing like that. And Dana Holgerson says, well, if they're not putting one out, I'm not going to put one out. And and uh, so that <laughs> – Well, see, that, see that backs him into a corner, though, because OU will put one out at some point this week. We think it's probably going to be on Wednesday. Um, so then Dana, according to what he said, would He'll need match. to put one out. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway. We we know the quarterbacks. We know Hurts versus King, so that'll be fun. But yeah, that that's just one of the things that stood out to me early on. Uh, what what about you, Jenny? From what you were around for, and I know you wrote about uh, a lot about what uh, Alex Grinch said, or not Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley said about uh, the, the way he would view his defense. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, this came out first Monday morning, actually before the the press conference. Uh, the Big Twelve coaches do a teleconference, and Lincoln Riley got asked about what he, uh, if he thought he would have a, a good sense of where his defense is after this opener. And he basically said, you know, you got to be careful about that. It's it's just one game, and um, you know the fact that basically he expounded on a, a few hours later, basically that saying that. There's bound to be overreaction. No matter if it's great or if it's terrible, there's going to be overreaction. The small sample size, everything is just weighted so strongly that it almost, you know, you can't help but have overreaction. But he brought up a great point in that he he speaks from experience on this because two and a half games or a game and a half-ish into his time as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, there are probably some people sitting around going, this Lincoln Riley guy, I don't know, may not be very good. This air raid, I maybe because if you'll go back to 2015, they struggled against Akron a bit to start the year. Got off to a bit of a rocky start in that game before physically they took over against the Zips, and then they go to Tennessee and through three quarters, they were terrible. They were they three points, two turnovers, uh, you know, nothing going right, and then. The miraculous comeback. Baker Mayfield really kind of starts to build his legend. The offense starts, you know, basically finds its stride, takes off, and 
everybody knows that 15 season ended up being a fantastic one, an offense that you know maybe it wasn't to the historic levels of these last couple years that we saw, but it was way better than it showed in that first seven quarters of the season. So, you know, the fact that they weren't great to start with, but improved and, um, you know, got going as time went on, I think that's the thing that Lincoln Riley is mindful of as he gets ready to see. I mean, he, I think he's like the rest of us wants to see what this group looks like in a real live game. Um, And so there's a lot of unknowns about what that is going to, you know, what we are going to see. But at the same time, you know, he, he comes from a, experience spot where he says you know yes this is important yes they're they're going to be held accountable but don't don't ascribe greatness or failure to them if things are to an extreme on sunday yeah yeah you know talking to alex grinch it's sort of refreshing because he's so honest about everything and and i thought one of the most interesting things yesterday is when he was talking about even from game one he says if if his team if his defense does not get two or more turnovers, he, he described it as extremely disappointing. <laughs> OU only had two turnovers in a game twice last season. So um, it's just he's bringing this different mindset. And, you know, Ryan, I know you're going to write about kind of his takeaway philosophy and everything like that uh, later in the week. But it's just, you know, he's very straightforward in setting very concrete goals about turnovers, like two a game. That's what we want, if not extremely disappointing. So, like, he's he's giving everyone sort of a barometer to judge them on. Yeah, there there will be no doubt how Alex Wrench feels about their performance uh, based on what happens on, on Sunday and, and certainly when Alex talks to us. Uh, there certainly will be no doubt left because he, he is very open and honest. But uh, Joe wanted to bounce back to, to what you mentioned with the depth chart. What to you is when when we get this depth chart, whenever it comes out, what what's the number one thing that uh, you're looking for, uh, whether it's a position or a player or anything like that? I think it's going to be on the defensive side. Well, the offensive line is interesting to me, but also the defensive line, uh, not, not defensive line, but defensive side, specifically outside linebackers. Um, we know Kenneth Murray is going to be in there in the middle, but... Jalen Redmond's a guy who's been listed at defensive end, outside linebacker. Could he potentially take that spot? You know, where does where do guys like Ryan Jones and Mark Jackson fit in in that linebacking room? Um, That's a name we haven't heard in a while. Yeah, that, those. I, I just wonder, like, what that what those two deep look like at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say for me, it's on defense as well, and um, you know, obviously with the trade. Jenny, no, uh, I was not going to say linebacker. I was about to say that Joe just took away Jenny's chance <laughs> no. to talk about linebackers. <laughs> no, I could talk about him, but I'm not gonna. Uh, I think since the trade Norwood injury, how does yeah. that secondary shake out? Um, obviously, uh, you know, in the Houston game, yeah, they're going to be needed, but clearly. Not only the starters, but where is that depth and who might they be once we get into Big 12 play? Who might be rotating in there? How much, how much is, when you look at those names, are they really looking at, you know, being able to play into too deep or is there even a, a guy or two maybe into that third level that they, you know, I think that's going to be really interesting to see how those names stack out in the secondary safeties and nickels and that sort of stuff. Yeah, for, for me, if you put a depth chart in front of me, my eyes are going two places and they're they're going to the nickelback spot to see uh, Buki Radley-Hiles or Chance Sylvie, who, who gets that. Uh, Sylvie has made a push recently, and uh, 
appears like he's going to get some significant playing time. It's just a question of how much and if he's the starter or the backup. Uh, obviously, everybody knows about Buki's situation that uh, starting for most of last year and then wound up uh, that playing time disappeared uh, there at the end, especially as Trey Norwood bounced around a little bit. The other thing is at cornerbacks. Who's the second cornerback? I think everybody anticipates that uh, Trey Brown is going to be number one. For a lot of camp, we thought Parnell Motley was certainly going to be that number two guy, and then after that you wondered. But apparently Jordan Parker's made a pretty good push recently. Parker's a guy who played as a freshman, started as a freshman, and then wound up losing his job to Motley the next year. Uh, wound up getting hurt and that was out for the year and has sort of uh, been off in the wilderness ever since. But uh, they really like supposedly what what they've seen out of Jordan Parker to this point. So he could wind up playing a, a much bigger role this year than I think a lot of us anticipated. Yeah, Parker and Sylvia are interesting where they slot in. And like you said, the Trey Norwood injury just changed so, so much. It changed nickel. It changed corner. Um, it could change safety depending on who, who they pull into the nickel spot from a, a regular safety spot. Um, so I don't think we have you know some of those answers. So you know we're waiting, and so is Dana Holgerson. <laughs> yeah, and maybe Jaquelin Crawford's one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who I knows? D- I think that depth chart it'll be interesting too. The offensive line, Joe. I think you mentioned that, and you know, I, I it seems like they have. We almost like it's almost like we know the pieces to the puzzle, but we're not sure how they fit together. Um, you know, and I I assume that maybe that changes as they go and they sort of figure some things out. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, what does Bill Beanbow think he has? How how does he think it's going to work best? I think the only thing that I mean, you guys may disagree, but the only thing I'm certain of is that Creed Humphrey's going to play yeah. center. I'm not Me sure too. I know anything else at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a pretty good idea adrian ely uh especially probably marcus hayes but outside of that uh, there's a couple spots that are open the air but uh obviously humphrey's the big one but i i mean there's little doubt right now that adrian ely is going to be a big part of what they do up front yeah rj proctor another name (laughs) on that offensive line to watch and not not to name every position, but I'm also interested in receiver. Now, receiver depth charts, like, it's hard to sometimes take because there could be three or four slots listed with three guys at each one, and it's like every receiver on the roster is listed. Mm-hmm. But just where do these – to me, I still we, – we talked about maybe not knowing much about where each guy slots on the offensive line. We know the pieces at receiver. I don't know how to separate like the three freshman five stars at this point, so maybe the depth chart will help do that a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah that that is something intriguing to watch and just see, you know, where all that stuff lines out. I mean, we expect. I think the easiest one on the receivers is probably that uh, um, the inside spot. That's the tight end slash receiver spot is almost certain to be Calcaterra, Morris, Stogner. But how they use that, to me, it's more interesting how they use it in games uh, rather than the the depth chart there, uh, just because you can see instances with uh, Calcaterra and Morris being on the field at the same time, or Morris and Stogner especially, or heck, even uh, Calcaterra and Stogner together. So that's going to be intriguing to me to see how those pieces all fit together. Yeah, you could basically have... Calcaterra, or I, I mean, Calcaterra lines up at receiver so much, but he could line up at 
what we think of as a traditional tight end, and Lee Morris could basically be a slot receiver. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think that's absolutely true. But, yeah, I think the receiver position is, is definitely interesting. And, you know, again, we're not trying to hit every position, but, um, you know, maybe not so much depth chart, but how does the running back – how does that all how, how maybe how deep on the depth chart could we potentially see them go um i think that's a that's an interesting question um and you know as with the air raid we often saw you know what they threw out for the first play might have some effect on who you had in that starting lineup but i think it'll be interesting there's there's but yeah to me the defensive side of the ball is by far the more um a lot of unanswered questions over there exactly what that's all going to look like yeah so all right well we're going to take a break there and be back with their final segment of the sooners extra podcast presented by zaxby's want to make sure you uh, go ahead and get on and bookmark red river rivalry radio.com for oklahoma texas week yes the season is just starting but uh we're always looking ahead to ou texas here a 24-hour seven-day-long pop-up radio station celebrating this historic rivalry look forward as we go live october 5th in preparation for the october 12th game once again i'm ryan aber and this is a Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Uh, we haven't yet talked about quarterbacks. We haven't yet talked about Jalen Hurts. And uh, this is a heck of a quarterback matchup and a really intriguing one, uh, both of you. Jenny, let's, let's start off with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is something you're going to write about uh, later in the week, but these are two guys um, whose backgrounds are, are very similar. Obviously, played at, they played at different kinds of schools, and, and Joe's going to write something about this uh Two, but both Houston area guys yeah. who are, are now big, big names in college football. Yeah, definitely so. Jalen Hurts uh, coming out of Channel View. You mentioned the different high schools, and Channel View, not a powerhouse necessarily in the Houston area, but uh, he played, started as a sophomore, really started to build his star, if you will, as a young kid at Channel View playing for his dad, who was the head coach there. Um, the summer before his senior year at Channel View chooses Alabama. Um, and I think a lot of people around the Houston area felt like he was going to get one of those type of offers. Um, so definitely a guy that um, was well-respected, highly thought of when he left the high school ranks. And yet I think the way that he's handled the last three plus years of his life, I mean, it's well chronicled all that he went through at Alabama and the ups and the downs and and, uh, how he ended up at Oklahoma. I think as much as anything, I think people in Houston are every bit as proud of, you know, how he handled not playing as how they are of how he how he has shown on the field. So um, definitely a source of pride for the Houston area. Uh, him coming out of Channel View, and I, Joe, I think this is going to be a heck of a quarterback matchup because Jarrett King, I mean, he's he's no slouch either. Yeah, I mean, his numbers last year were pretty insane in the eleven games he played. Um, this is he averaged 
points responsible for game. He was number one in the country, ahead of two pretty good football players in Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins last year. So a dynamic guy, a true dual-threat quarterback uh, who can really throw the ball and is dangerous with his legs. And um, one of the angles I'm writing about this week is uh, a matchup in their senior year. Both of them were in the 2016 class, two of the most highly sought-after players in Texas. King went to a traditional powerhouse in the Houston area, Manville High School. Jalen Hurts went to Channel View, and King's Manville team beat Jalen Hurts 71-21. to King did not even play in the second half. I haven't looked this up, but maybe Jalen Hurts didn't even play in the second <laughs> half. Uh, but it, th- that ended up being his last high school game. And um, now it's, it's very interesting because, you know, Houston obviously is no – is no doormat. They're a very good program, but a, a group of five program um, going up against a powerhouse like Oklahoma, I mean, their roles are basically switched from when they faced each other in high school. Yeah, that'll be a, a fascinating matchup to see. And I, I think, uh, Jenny, Derek King presents really the only chance for, for Houston to, to pull this game out between his ability to uh, move around and make plays happen, not only with his feet but his arm. I think Alex Grinch yesterday talked about how so much of De'Aaron King's scrambling is scrambling to pass rather than scramble to run. Of course, we've seen quarterbacks like that before. We know what that looks for, like. For OU fans, yeah. they know. And so this is going to be a very unique test for Alex Grinch's defense in week one to try to – be uh, assignment sound to stick with what they're supposed to do and not uh, you know overreact yeah for sure and you add in the fact that this is Dana Holgerson's return so his influence on this offense what uh, new wrinkles what new surprises um, you know I I do think it's going to be a challenge they're going to have to they're going to have to be really really sound I think physically Oklahoma is better than Houston I think they'll I think they definitely have that physical advantage when it's Oklahoma's offense versus Houston's defense but when it's the Houston offense Oklahoma's defense I mean it's no joke they Houston can score some points and they will score some points if that defense isn't on its uh, on its best behavior out there. So, I yeah, I mean, I think it is going to be interesting. A lot of variables. You know, I don't know what film they're looking at. I'm sure they've got some well. of Derek King and Houston <laughs> from last year, but you got to throw in a little bit of West Virginia. Yeah. To, well, to see what to see what Holgerson yeah, that, might do. That's one of the things I was going to bring up next is talking, especially to Alex Grinch last night. Lincoln Riley brought this up more, I believe, in the teleconference yesterday morning, uh, Monday morning, uh, more than anything else, but. Alex Grinch talked about not chasing ghosts, so not uh, watching too much film or overanalyzing things too much. And obviously you've got to know what Houston has personnel-wise. Uh, obviously you've got to study uh, Derek King and see what he's able to do, but also not worrying too much about what Holgerson did maybe a few years ago at West Virginia. Maybe you just look at some film from last year you know, and analyze what what his coordinators have done, things like that. He said it's really easy to go too overboard and follow that out the window too much when you're talking about uh, a new coach on a new staff um, at a new place. Yeah, that's a a great point. I think they just have to – 
you know, there's enough tape on, on these Houston guys. It's a pretty veteran bunch on offense. It's not just Derek King, his top three receivers, uh, Marcus Stevenson, Keith Corbin, Courtney Lark, they're all back as well. So pretty dynamic. I think you have to sort of match, okay, how does that personnel fit in a Dana Holgerson type offense? And, um, you know, I think there's a chance at the end of the year we look back and when you say, wh- who is the best quarterback that Oklahoma's defense faced? Maybe it's Sam Ellinger. It could be Derek King by the end of the year. I mean, there's good quarterbacks in the Big 12, Ellinger, Charlie Brewer, Alan Bowman, but King might be the best quarterback they face. You name all those and Brock Purdy doesn't come up? Brock Purdy? Yeah, there's another one. There's another one. Although for for a second, when you first started that sentence, I was really worried that you were going to say not mention Sam Ellinger, so – Oh, no. Uh, Ellinger, Ellinger was my uh, preseason Big 12 okay. player of the year pick, but uh, I think he's right He's right in that camp. I mean, he's he's a little different than those guys, and I think he's probably the best dual threat, true dual threat option out of any of those guys. You know, even though we're uh, – I know, Ryan, you were talking about Grinch, uh, Joe, talking about Grinch, you know, two turnovers or more, um, you know, the challenge of De'Eric King. But, you know, when I think about this game – I kind of come back to that game a few years ago um, when Baker Mayfield and and that bunch went down there and lost. And it really came down to Oklahoma's offense not taking care of the ball. To me, if Oklahoma can value possessions and value the ball and not give it up, I think they got a great chance to win this game. And I haven't picked a score yet, so I'm I'm not going to do it here. This Houston team isn't what that Houston team was. Defensively, sure, for uh, sure not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at all, wasn't Ed Oliver running around at that point? Yeah, Ed I Oliver mean, was. Uh, now, yeah, that team had a pretty good quarterback uh, themselves. And was it Greg Ward? Yes. Yeah, was right. their quarterback yeah. then? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. But, but yeah, but also that game, you know, thinking back at that game, you know, Samaje Piran gets hurt uh, fairly early in that game. I think that changed the dynamic of how OU's offense looked, especially at that time, as they're still, you know, sort of getting their feet under them uh, offensively. As uh, obviously Baker Mayfield, we knew he was really good by that point, but um, was a little bit different kind of start to the season. Their offensive line was still uh, coming together. Uh, with with all the changes that they made, because I think like Alex Dalton started at the off- an offensive line in that game, and then they uh, wound up making some changes a couple weeks later um, after moving. I think Ben Powers. Well, Ben Powers moved in after Cody Ford's injury against Ohio State, um, and that's when they really Ben Powers and Eric Wren moving into the lineup is when they really became the offensive line that they became. But but that game was fascinating. I mean, for those reasons that you mentioned, the kick six um, and uh, just a strange, strange opening to the season. Eric King was a receiver. Yeah, he had three catches, 28 yards, I think. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> I, you know, and that, but that's the kind of recipe that when you think about it from Houston's perspective, coming in, primetime game, on the road, first, you know, first game out of the shoot. The thing that you want to get is that momentum, and nothing creates momentum like getting turnovers. So Oklahoma's offense, you know, there's a lot of reasons to think that they're going to be good taking care of the ball. I mean, Jalen Hurts is a veteran guy. Uh, They've got running backs that have done this before. They've got very talented receivers. But you've got an offensive line that's getting out there for the first time together. You've got some young receivers, um, you know, so this is going to be their first time 
in this situation. So, you know, they just need to keep their heads about them and not give Houston the ball a bunch. I think that's going to be that's going to be really important and, you know, that would be the type of thing that when you if you're thinking about could Houston score an upset here, that to me taking possessions away from your offense when you clearly have an advantage your offense against their defense don't give away possessions don't give it back to Derek King and that offense to 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 have again you just gotta you gotta be you gotta be uh taking care of the ball that offense has just got to do it yeah no doubt about it well we're gonna wrap things up uh right there if you have mailbag questions for us uh we'd we'd really like to you to to reach out to us especially on twitter at R-Y-A-B-E-R is my Twitter handle. I'll let you all uh, give yours real quick, Joe. Um, at Joe underscore Masato. That's M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O. I screwed this up last time, last time so I'm going to try to get it right this time. Jenny Carlson, J-E-N-N-I-C-A-R-L-S-O-N underscore O-K for me. <laughs> so, yeah, reach out to us with some mailbag questions. We'll answer those in our uh, podcast later in the week. We'll also be joined by uh, a guest uh, to talk about the Houston game. And we'll also give our predictions about uh, what we anticipate to happen. But uh, thank you so much for uh, joining the Sooners Extra podcast from the Oklahoma. And, uh, again, this podcast presented each week by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit Zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best OU coverage anywhere.